0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring, boring,
1: boring. Hey, okay, one thing the game needs is more people like you.
2: You, you, you. Still have pro man, run around tight pants. Mookie Betts, this is Daniel Bard, this is Steve Algy, Jared Lamakia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball, baseball, baseball isn't boring. Welcome to baseball isn't boring. Here's your host,
1: Rob. Raffer. All right, Hall of Famer, podcast Hall of Famer, Daniel Bard. He's a Hall of Famer in in podcasts that don't exist anymore. He's a Hall of Famer that podcasts that do exist. He's got great stories. He's a smart guy. He's always welcome. And uh, there's no better way to kick off the the month of that baseball begins than with Daniel Bard. Hello.
2: Got to specify podcast Hall of Famer. Hmm. Well, you Make were sure okay. Uh, yeah, confused. so you
1: were you were. Inducted into the Bradfoe Show Hall of Fame. The Bradfoe Show, of course, was the Red Sox-centric podcast I did for years. You came on multiple times. Um, and so you were inducted into that. And then I'm carrying it over to being inducted into the Baseball as in Boring Hall of Fame because you've proven yourself. It's like it's like being – put it this way, Daniel. It's like you're inducted into a AAA team's Hall of Fame – you you know what it takes to be in a Hall of Fame. Now you're in the Major Leaguers Hall of Fame. Congratulations!
2: A lot of a lot of responsibility.
1: A lot of Hall of Fame. Like have you ever? I may have asked you, have you. Are you in another? Are you in like your high school Hall of Fame at all or anything? I don't think so. What?
2: Not not that I know of. <laughs> I should probably know about that. Uh, we get Steph Curry went to my high school after me, so. You know that kind of makes anyone else look like a failure uh, from a sp- athletics perspective. So I think they forgot about me at, when I, he came I, through.
1: I totally forget that story. Can you tell me a good Steph Curry story again? I feel like you ha- that you had a good one.
2: I'm trying to think. He was friends with one of my brothers. Um, about he, I think he's three years younger than me. I don't know if I have a good story about him per se. His dad Dell came out and watched one of my bullpens my senior year. Um, he he came out just like he, he just wanted, he, he played baseball at Virginia Tech, I think. Dell did his dad, wow. And so, I believe so. Maybe, maybe fact check that, but I'm pretty sure he played baseball and basketball. And he said he, baseball was always his first love. And he's like, I couldn't get any of my sons into it. And you know, I knew his kids were, but they weren't. I think his Steph was like a freshman at the time, and um. Cause I couldn't get my boys into baseball. They just wanted to do basketball and you know, it worked out.
1: And you and staff of course is a baseball fan because I know he had his bachelor party at Fenway park. Um, you were there, you were there for that, right? You were,
2: you, yeah. Yeah. He, he came up to me like they were on the field for batting practice and he came up and I never, I mean, besides like crossing paths in the hallways, maybe when he was a freshman, I was a senior I don't think I'd really ever interacted with him. Uh, but he was – like I said, he was – I knew he'd become friends with one of my uh, – my brother, Jared. Uh, they were the same class. And, uh, yeah, he, he, like, called me over, you know, coming off the field after BP. And um, he was not the Steph Curry that we know now. This was, like, 2009 probably. It's probably my yeah. rookie year. Yeah, there's a photo of so it. he Yeah, he had maybe, like, a year in the league. And, you know, he – he was more known for his Davidson stuff at that point. Um, you know, br- bringing a small school to the Final Four, or Elite Eight, one of the two. And um, yeah, I just went over, and it's funny because he was just hanging out with all his high school buddies for his bachelor party, and they all they um,
1: all had T shirts. They all had T shirts made up with their nicknames on the back. And there was a, okay. There, there was a I think a player, a teammate of his at Davidson from Maine. So there's kids walking around the Fenway Field with a T-shirt that says "White
2: Lobster" on the back. <laughs> yeah, you see, so you remember more than I do. But um, yeah. yeah, that might be my last interaction with him. Honestly, um, he kind of he's he's he went out of my stratosphere shortly after that. So,
1: well, listen, it, it's a circle of life because a couple things. Number one, you are it, it, whatever honor you've had, you're about to have a bigger honor. Um, and whatever publicity or or buzz that that Steph Curry has gotten, you're about to have bigger buzz because Daniel, we have a big announcement. Correct? Let's go. We All do. All right, let's we go. Do. All right. Um, I, I mean, I, you go ahead. Go ahead. You go. go oh, ahead. I'm
2: leading off. Um, no, I mean yeah, it's so. your
1: it's your it's your. I want. I don't want to put words <laughs> in your mouth. Like for literally. For the next for the next x about a month, I do not want to put words in your mouth and I don't want to start now, so go ahead
2: that's good so uh yeah, Rob and I are going to be writing a book together um something we started talking about maybe a year ago, you know it kind of came up in some conversations uh, he brought up hey if you ever if you ever want to write something, let me know I'd love to love to be a part of it and just kind of time felt right um you know, getting toward the last year or two of my career and um, kind of want to get some things down on paper before, uh, while it's fresh in my head a little bit. Um, and yeah, Rob just seemed like the perfect guy to do it. I've known him since uh, my rookie year, 2009. Uh, he's been in a, a front row seat for a lot of my journey um, through the Boston days. And then we stayed in touch the two years I retired. I think you, you were the one that announced my First retirement, um, back in twenty eighteen, so or twenty seventeen, so, and then we just stayed in touch through the years, and and uh, you know, there's there's not many Boston media writer types that I would fully trust with a job like this. So, uh, yeah, I read Joe's book, Joe Kelly's book, last year um, that y'all did, and you know, just it just had the right feel to it, um, something that that I wanted. You know, to make my book relatable, you know, make it uh something that baseball fans can enjoy, but something hopefully um the general public can can get something out of as well.
1: Well, thank you, first of all. Um and I you know, I wanted to say this is that it's it's talking to you, like even the times that we've talked to begin the process. Every time I talk to you, and, and this sort of goes back to the pod doing podcasts with you or the conversations about stuff that you've gone through, is that I come away and earmuffs if you don't want, I'm gonna pump up your tires, but I come away inspired. And that's sort of like what when when we talked about doing this, and I think we we're both on the same page, it was yeah, you know, you have a really interesting baseball journey, but as you pointed out to me. You know, through your journey, through your ups and downs, through your things that you've overcome, um, that this this leaks into everybody, a lot of people, a- other athletes, other sports, other walks of life. And I thought that at the beginning, but talking through some of the stuff that we've already talked through, I- I've never been more convinced of that. And and I don't know, like if 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 you. Like, I know that that was one of your motivations. Like you genuinely want to help people. I think, right? I,
2: again, not. Well, I don't want to put. Yeah, words. yeah. No, that's that's true. I, I mean, I I kind of feel like if I just let my career end and you know kind of disappeared, which is something I maybe my personalities more tend to do. Um, I, I'd kind of be it would kind of be a selfish move and kind of uh, doing a disservice and kind of wasting the things that. Not saying I have all the answers, I definitely don't. But um, i have just coming through the journey I've had, having my career end, do the yips, and then being able to take that path and come back and actually have a, a success story um, of someone who's dealt with that. You know, it's it's. I just I didn't have that when I was going through it. I looked for it. I looked for similar things in other sports where someone battled through. Um, kind of those mental things that a lot of athletes go through and come out the other side, um, better than before. And I just couldn't, I didn't, couldn't find it, you know, I'm sure it's out there. So I just, I kind of feel like it's my responsibility to tell my story and just, I just want to give people who are going through something tough and kind of a light at the end of the tunnel, give them hope that like, you know, there can be good things after going through some, some really hard stuff too. Um, you know, and I, the, the more I've told my story and, you know, it's been told a few times in different articles, publications, and they've all done a really good job, but you know, it's never been from my completely from my perspective um, with the details that are important to me, um, my family, my wife, you know, there's just some things that there's some depth to the story that I haven't shared yet. Um, So I don't want to say too much, but I, you know, I'm excited to do it. It's going to be, um, a hard process, I think at times, you know, just (laughs) reliving some things. And, um, but yeah, it's not always the fun part, but I do think it's necessary. You know, I, like I told you, Rob, the other day is like talking through some of those, those hard moments. We were going through the WBC last year, uh, that experience and talking through it. It's not something you're like, Hey, let's go talk about one of the hardest days of my career. Let's dig into it. But when once I do it, it's kind of it's kind of therapeutic in a way, you know. You, you kind of, um, you know, without laying down on a couch and spilling on my feelings, you know, it's it's the closest thing to therapy uh, that you can do for something like that, you know. It's it just kind of helps get it out on the table. You kind of see it through a different lens, you know. Once you're a little bit removed from it, so uh, I'm excited to to dive into it over the next year and uh, you know excited to see what comes out of it. Yeah. So
1: you know again this isn't spoiler alert or anything or spoiling anything but you know an example that and i and, and and i think i've said to you even in our conversations and maybe i've said this in podcast too is that hey listen if you don't want to talk about this i get it i'm sorry i'm sorry 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 but you know when we when we dove into the venezuela game last year uh wbc game and you had said you and you were remembering a lot, but you said that you never had watched it back. And, and that was part of this. Right. You had to watch it back, which is yeah. I get that. I don't want to. If I have a if I have a moment, I don't I know this is very, very, very similar. I mean, it's almost scary how similar this is. But when my high school basketball team loses, I don't want to watch the tape.
2: Right? Yeah.
1: So. But you, but you force yourself to, and I don't know, like it, it, even when you, when you did that, as you were going, was it hard to do? And then it got easier. And then by the end of it, like, oh, all right, I saw things that I didn't remember or things like, you know what I'm saying? Which I think if for everybody, it's, it's yeah. probably a, a good thing to power through in any walk of life.
2: Yeah. I mean, that, any, anytime you have a hard moment in your life, it, usually it's not on video, you know, in sports, we're kind of in a unique spot where it's everything's televised and it's recorded, and you have a chance to go back and you watch the really, really good stuff you've done, but you can also watch the really terrible stuff you've you've done and the stuff you've had to endure. So uh, no, I know I probably wouldn't have gone back and watched it, you know, right at this point in time, you know, being still, you know, at the still playing, still, you know, um, still actively having a career it's a but like i said i went through it i did it and kind of took some notes kind of just viewed it as like hey let me let me not necessarily relive it but let's just watch it from like an outsider's perspective you know what were what were what was everybody else watching on tv mm-hmm. um and it, oddly enough look it was bad like it was the numbers were bad but i was like i kind of forgot that i had almost gotten out of the outing gotten <laughs> out of the inning. Sorry. um it wasn't good like i said it wasn't pretty but at one point i had a guy o2 made a good pitch could have gotten a double play it didn't happen we didn't get any outs but like i just chalked it up to like every you know the way i look back on it, it's just like every pitch was terrible and that wasn't true you know there were some bad ones mixed in and there was walks and a you know hit batter but it was bad but it wasn't uh it almost i made it worse in my head than it actually was um and that's just kind of how our our brains work at times. I think, you know, you, you make things worse, you make them better compartmentalize, block things out. Um, I blocked a lot of it out apparently. but that's well, you
1: know, I I don't, that doesn't surprise me, but you know, conversely, it's also, we've talked about good moments And one of the moments that I, I, we haven't done a podcast since you were at Fenway last year. Um, but, you know, I, I saw you when you came back to Fenway last year, you pitched well at Fenway and and you're you know, you're you figure things out and now you're you know, you're back to being dominant Daniel Bard relief pitcher. But there was a couple moments where I didn't realize, I don't think, how impactful it was. And maybe maybe you did or didn't. Um number one was just being at Fenway and pitching well at Fenway and seeing your family at Fenway um walking back to the hotel with your family at, at Fenway the circle of life you know all of that yeah right i mean that was i didn't really yeah. I, you know i saw you hanging out at fenway i'm like oh this is cool this is great we talked but i didn't realize you know what a moment that was
2: yeah it was it was pretty deep i think just cuz the you know, we, we've talked about the sim, kind of this, this, the symbolism of, of that place for my career. You know, um, having you know, started my career there and had some had some really good years. And Fenway is not a place that you spend any time in, and then you forget about it. You know, even a casual baseball fan that goes to a game there is going to remember it. You know, for the rest of their life, it's just an atmosphere that's different. and you can almost feel the history in the place and then, you know, being lucky enough to play there for a few years, uh, it sticks out. And, and so that was something that I didn't fully appreciate till like, after it was kind of taken away, you know, and then there was the whole decade where I didn't play there at all. I didn't even step foot in the the, stadium. Almost exactly a decade. Yeah. yeah,
1: 2013
2: to 2023. So, um, yeah, full decade and step foot in the place. I had been back to Boston for a couple different things, um, not related to baseball. So, I, but uh, that was the first time I'd been back in the ballpark. So it, it was cool. And then to pitch twice, uh, get two wins, have my family there, have my kids there who weren't weren't even born when I played there the first time. Like, just a lot of uh, I mean, so many layers to it, you know. You have to read in the book to get yeah, all the layers.
1: Actually, you're, you're, you're very good. You're very good at tea. See, you've, you've already passed the test. Uh, and the last thing I'll say, you know, about sort of this whole thing is that is another moment. And this is the reason I bring this up is because it comes back to the impact that you're going to have on people. And I genuinely believe this is going to impact a lot of people and it should, But you know, we mentioned Julian McWilliams of the Boston globe. who You did a conversation with and Julian, has been on the podcast. Has co-hosted. Uh, he actually hosted the podcast just the other day, um, and he had the yips. His college career ended with the yips. He, and after talking to you at Fenway, um, he said it was one of the highlights of his professional career. And and some again, I I said, hey, you got to talk to this guy, and that's cool. You know, it's great. And you were, but you never know. Like, I don't think people understand. Like. <laughs>
2: Again, the be- impact. <laughs> so Yeah, I mean I there's just so many people out there that are struggling with something. You know, it might be the yips. There's I don't think that's a huge percentage of the population, but I totally unexpectedly, like the more times my story kind of got told and was out there, I mean I've had people come up and tell me they related it to their, you know, just different, way different struggles than baseball, um, which I never would have expected or you know couldn't even have made the link on some of these things and so you know i just felt like it was a good thing to put more of it out there and and put it out in my own words and and um let people draw what they want from it you know Hmm.
1: and but the only contractual obligation is that which i also had with joe kelly is that uh you have to say no shit after every second sentence so like joe (laughs) Like he did with, with the it. commissioner. No shit. It's, so it loosens things up. There you go. Uh, all right. Well, I look forward. It's been fun so far. It'll be fun. And so there you go. That we we mastered the art of the tease. Uh, we're great at this publicity thing. Oh my goodness! Like people should write books about how we market this. Um, all right. The other thing I wanted Absolutely. to talk. Yeah, I think, I think what to talk to you about is the, uh, as we head into your, what is it? So when do you go down? When do you go to Arizona? 12 got
2: about two weeks. Uh, two weeks. Yeah, I think pitchers, catchers yours, are the 14th. Okay.
1: Best shape of our live season. Um, you know it. <laughs> how it so take me, through, this is another instructional moment for, for all these young, Players, older players, whatever it is, it used to be uh, the chain smoking, uh, three hundred pound first baseman showing up in the rubber suit and running around Florida. So don't worry about it; I'll get in shape. Uh, it's now it's flipped to maybe the other extreme. How do you, as a as a major league baseball player, as we turn into February here, how do you feel? What's like? What's the vibe? Is it is it legitimately February? Okay, it's the month where we start playing baseball again and it feels different. I don't know. You tell me. This episode is brought to you by
0: Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Yeah. I always say like once, once the calendar turns January 1st hits, uh, you, you know, there's about six weeks left till you got a report. It feels like it goes by in about two every year. Like it gets faster every year. Um, that six weeks just gets shorter. Um, yeah, for me, I mean, it's just trying to get ready You know, I'm trying to get healthy as well. I finished the year on the IL with, with a little elbow issue. So spent the off season rehabbing that and, um, just kind of building back up. So I'm a little, a little behind where I'd normally be. Um, you know, I'm just, like I said, mainly focused on being healthy and, uh, see where we're at, but it's, it's always exciting, you know, showing up, seeing the guys you haven't seen in a few months that you're about to spend every day with for the next seven months. Um, that's always fun, you know,
1: how, how how
2: are you, how do you feel? You feel good? Strong like bull. Feel Good. Yeah. Stretched out. Just, uh, haven't gotten them off a mound yet, which normally I'd be off a mound, you know, like early, early December, um, started getting off a mound. So I'm, I'm behind in that regard, but, um, stretched out 120 feet long toss feels good. Um, just taking it, taking it a day at a time and try to enjoy it, you know? There's good spring training. I love spring training, Dale, Like I do.
1: Because I think it's just... It's just... People are just more relaxed. You know? There's more time. You guys are taking off at noon or whatever you are. You know? It's... The days are done. Especially when there's no games early on. Um, and there's always good stories. I remember the Mookie driving a golf cart into a lake. Um, I remember, you know... I used to play golf... The only time I ever played golf at spring training, do you, do you ever play,
2: do you do you golf at spring training? Some years I have, it, all, it depends on, you know, if the family's there and how my body feels and all that stuff. But, uh, sometimes I will. Yeah. Okay. So the only time I've golfed in spring
1: training, believe it or not, was with Josh Beckett and Casey Gabbard.
2: <laughs> That's a long time ago.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, did I do another one? Yeah, no, I think that was it. Maybe I played a couple times. Beckett, yeah, I don't. Yeah, Beckett was always like, yeah, he always had a thing about when you line up for the putt, saying, "Hey, you know, do you have a spootinator?" You ever heard this spootinator thing? No. The spootinator was the, the the muscle that connects the heart to your
2: balls. <laughs> I like that. It's kind of good. That sounds, right? like, a, that sounds like a Joshism.
1: <laughs> it is. But you must have good. I mean, you must have your favorite spring trainings your favorite spring training stories, your favorite, or maybe it's just mundane for you. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I could, I could bring up the 2012 spring training and you could probably rattle off like 10 stories right there, but that was an
2: adventure. Yeah. The Bob, the Bobby B spring training. That was an adventure. (laughs) Yeah. There was a story every day that came out of that, that, that camp. That wasn't a good, not a lot of positivity there either. Did you know, did you know
1: that, when you came in, this is a i guess my own curiosity. When you get to 2012, obviously the chaos of 2011, and for you, you were, were becoming a starter. But when they get, everyone gets together, and Bobby V speaks for the first time. Was there a sense how chaotic it might be, or was it like
2: we, if I remember correctly? there was a lot of conversations, you know, between, between the players amongst ourselves about the moment he got hired, you know, we're exchanging all these text messages. Like what are, what are we doing? Like of all the people that we could have hired, like this is what we're doing. Cause at that time, Bobby was, he hadn't managed in a while and he was mainly known for being like kind of the outspoken hot take guy on baseball tonight. (laughs) Uh, he'd been doing that for a while, you know, and his, his, um, his opinions and and uh, stuff he talked about on there was not always like didn't always make a ton of sense to us as players, and then we hire him straight off a TV, which I know has worked for some guys. You know, Alex Kors is a pretty good example, but um, yeah, we were just kind of like we were all kind of wowed by the hire, and then we were like, "Hey guys, we got a job to do. Let's let's go in with an open mind." Like that was kind of the vibe. Like we were all shocked, and then we. Talked about it, and we're like, "Hey, he's our manager. Let's figure it out. You know, give him a chance. Go in with an open mind." And we did that, and uh, it didn't take long to, <laughs> to close the for things that go side things that go sideways. I don't even think we were out of spring training before we had, you know. Oh, you
1: had the so, listen. You had the the infield, the Mike Avelis infield pop up thing, right?
2: Yeah, that was probably the worst one. Um, or the, that's the one that went public, I guess. Yeah. We had yeah. Pedroia getting yelling at Bobby V. I think Pedroia pulled everybody off the field mid mid drill. If, if I remember right, it, it, it's that was it, not that wasn't good.
1: no. It's it's amazing. And by, by the way, I like Mike Avilas. So the story comes yeah. out. I get along with him, and he was protecting everybody. But I'm like, did this happen? No, 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 no. And then he admitted later that yes, yes, yes. But yeah. the the. The thing about there's a couple things was I we had Andrew Bailey on the podcast the other day, and I said you know I didn't talk to Andrew in years, and I said hey you know what I remember when you guys had to do the fitness tests for 2012, and part of it was the vertical jump test, and he's and you ripped your lat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wasn't even Bobby B's fault, you know, but. Somehow it probably got blamed on him.
1: Yeah. But, you know, but but the thing about Pedroia was, and the other part about this, and I'm not going to belabor this, but the other part I always remember is that, you know, when Pedroia stood in front of his locker and did the whole, this isn't how we do things here, maybe you do it in Japan or whatever, um, was, Daniel, that was Patriots day. That was two weeks into the season. Two weeks in the season.
2: Yeah, it was a rough start to the year for, for me personally and for the whole team. It was just – there were so many distractions. Um, Nobody was really comfortable, if I remember remember right. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in new roles, you know, almost a whole new coaching staff, um, had some new players, you know, and I think it was just – it was not – like we had such good team chemistry in 9, 10, 11, like – just good leaders, good man, and I don't know. Not that we didn't have the leaders. I don't know. Mike Lowell left, you know, or I think in after ten, so he wasn't there. Pat, no, Pat but, was gone. But you also have to remember
1: there was there was lingering chaos from the year before, up you yeah. know stories and 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 all that. I mean, it was it was <laughs> I I I said this. It was it was because it came up when. People were talking recently about Belichick leaving, about, you know, what do you do? Do you hire someone who's similar or or completely different? And they went 180 degrees from Francona. Like, Francona's way, to me, it was like, okay, yeah, you tweak some of the things that had Francona had done, but that's what had got to you that point. And everything was, I mean, Bobby would bristle so much at when we would just ask him, say, hey, are you are you planning on giving the lineup or letting guys know if they're going to play the night before, which I thought was a good idea. It's like, stop asking that. Like, we don't need to do that. Like, okay. It seems like a good idea. You know?
2: So. I, I remember one particular game. It was early too. Um, where he came to the ballpark at like four 45 for a seven o'clock game, posted the lineup at five 15 yeah. guys were not, not happy about that was Um, that in oakland it's a good question i don't remember where it was it was early though because i was only up for the first basically two months so it was sometime in that first couple months okay
1: yeah well again there's a whole if there was only a book that could uh have more descriptions about what happened um uh, not yeah. that we're going to get into that. I don't know what we're going to get to, But I, it was top of mind. It it, it reminded me – and honestly, I wasn't even going to talk about 2012, but the spring training thing, I'll never go through a spring training like that ever again. Um, but part of that was you going from a reliever to starter, and this is where I'm going to help, help you educate young minds. I don't know how many – tr- I was trying to think of how many pitchers are making that move. Some will. But usually, like they usually, they go have guys go in, and they say we're gonna start you as a starter because it's always easy to go start a reliever in case we move you. Um, what I mean, what is that like? Like, what is what what is that like in terms of when you say, okay, I'm gonna make this jump in the major leagues? Um, and is that true? Is it is is or is that a it's sort of a wives' tale of? Oh, it's all easier to go from from getting starters innings in spring training to become a
2: reliever than the other way around. Yeah, I think that where I went wrong was we just we just tried to change too many things. Like I had to start, I felt like I had to start like pitching like a starter. Um, where this is kind of before the era that you see now, where you know if you throw upper nineties with one wipeout off speed pitch and you throwing off strikes like just go do that for you know 90 to 100 pitches and see where it takes you you know that's the kind of the carlos rodon model um and you can do it and be really successful and valuable and make a lot of money um this was kind of before that like you know um even the the power guys even your your josh beckett's your CC Sabathia is like like those guys had great stuff. They're mid nineties, but they pitched. You know, they they commanded. You know, all parts of the zone. They threw three or four pitches. So, I think if I was ever going to have any success starting in the big leagues, it was probably as the the real simple version, just because that's that's what my command level's at. You know, it was going to be, hey, power guys. You know, power power sinker, power slider. Go get them. Go throw 90 pitches and see where it takes you. I think I would have been a lot better if I had just simplified what you, it. To what that. did you
1: I'm trying to remember? Did you try to do a changeup
2: or what what did you try to add? I was trying to throw more changeups. I was trying to have like a we had I had a new pitching coach that year and he was Bob like McClure, your delivery. right? Yeah. But yeah, and Bob was great. I really like Bob. But he didn't know me that well. You know, he didn't know my my history. I'd had command issues in the minors too. And, you know, we're trying to, like, he's like, you can pitch at 91, 92, then reach back for that 96, 97 when you need it. And, like, throttling my fastball was never something I was able to do. You know, it was almost like using two different deliveries. I just, it is what it is. My body doesn't, doesn't work that way. So I was trying to do, like, a lot of things that some high-level big league pitchers can do, and I just wasn't one of them. You know, I, I threw hard, and I could make the ball move. And I, you know, and when I kept it simple, I, I throw enough strikes to, to get outs. And that's what made me successful, you know, as a setup guy for those three years. And I think if I had just taken that mentality to the, to the rotation and just attack guys with my two best pitches, you know, it may not have been a, a great starter, but I think it could have been pretty good. But I just, we overcomplicate it. We're trying to make delivery changes and, grip changes and stride change like it was just too many changes at once and uh, I, um, remember. I remember i think it kind of... no go
1: ahead go it ahead. just
2: took away from my natural just took away from my natural athletic ability and you know um kind of the same thing i went through this past year it was just you got too mechanical and too analytical and overthinking you know the movement of my body and you know ended up spending seven years trying to figure it out.
1: I remember being at Hammond Stadium. It was like, it wasn't an even an official game, and I think you were pitching. And and everything, It's it, here's a different conversation, but everything is about was radar gun readings. Like, we want to make sure, hey, Daniel Bart's still throwing 99, right? Oh, wait, wait, 94 on March 5th? What's going on? What's happening? What's wrong with him? And, and... And meanwhile, conversely, I, the next year, a guy named Alan Webster shows up and he's throwing 99. It was like the storyline for three weeks. How? how like 99? Oh, my goodness. it's That's a big thing. But I think that looking back, Daniel, number one, the radar gun readings, this is why they shut it off sometimes in the first few games, I think. Um, they don't want people obsessing yeah. over it. And also – Is it more like you have so many more machines, for lack of a better term, to measure effectiveness of pitching than just velocity? Then to think back about what that was and how simplistic it was, it's kind of weird, right?
2: Yeah, but a lot of people haven't moved past it. You know, it's still kind of the baseline measuring tool um, for whether a guy's healthy and whether he's throwing like himself. I mean, it still works. But you're, like you're right there's there's so many other ways to look at it um and I that's not my job as a player I thought I'd leave that to the the professionals <laughs> <laughs> um no I, I try to understand myself and and if there's one thing I've learned is that when I keep things really simple stay out of my own way uh that's that's the best best and best way for me to work
1: do you ever do you ever freak out about radar gun readings one way or the other like oh I hit oh a yeah yeah. Oh yeah, give me give me give
2: me two good examples of it from both sides. I mean, yeah. So I don't know. Let's see. I mean, I, I remember it being a really big deal for me. So I, I, I think when I retired uh, for those two years, one big thing was I was always obsessed with not obsessed with it's the wrong word. My how hard I was throwing when I was playing or when I'm playing has always been attached to like my confidence level. Right. I'm seeing the 98, the 99, an occasional hundred, like who cares what it's doing? Like, you're going to feel good about yourself. Right. (laughs) And for me, like I've thrown hard, you know, since high school, like how hard I can throw has been kind of something that I've gotten a lot of praise for. And, you know, a lot of my identity as a pitcher and therefore as a person in some ways, um, are around throwing the baseball hard, right. Lighting up a radar gun. So when when you see it dropping into that ninety three ninety four, um, it's just you're like something right, sometimes right. Um, and I think when I first when I first came back with the Rockies, I tried not to pay attention to it. You know, I wanted to see certain things. I, I was like, if I can pitch in the mid nineties, I think I can still get outs in the big leagues. And I kind of surprised myself. I think in spring training I was touching some '97s, '98s, and I was like, "Ooh, still got it." And I uh, learned from there. And I think my most proud moment, from a physical standpoint, was I hit like a hundred. I think it was in '21. I hit, you know touched uh, I think a hundred or 101 in a game Ooh. at 36. So that that I was proud of. You know aside from anything else that's happened in the game. Like that was kind of cool just to be like, I'm pretty old now, but I can still do that. It's a good feeling. Oh, um, yeah. And then the, and then the other, the, on the flip side this past year, you know, I was, I was pitching a hurt most of the year. I had this elbow issue that was kind of lingering. Um, and I was just having a hard time getting a really getting over 95. And for a good Chunk of that first half of the season, it was it was eating at me because I was like, I'm not myself. I'm not myself. I'd go and have a one, two, three inning, but I was pitching at 93, 94, and I like wasn't happy with it because I'm like, that's something's not right. Something's not right. And um it took me a while to to get to where I could go have a, a one, two, three inning or quick inning, throwing 94, and be like, that was awesome. That was good. I can be happy with that. It's still hard for me. So I. That's just—I'm trying to get my ego, you know, shrink it down and not let that play such a big role. But I think it's, it's part of how I'm wired, and you know, I, I'm more competitive with myself than I am with with others mm. for whatever reason. I compete—I like to compete against myself, past version of myself, trying to trying to one up myself in ways. I'm competitive with people too, but it's, I'm probably more competitive with myself. So I think that's where that comes from.
1: Well, it helps that you're good because if you don't want to be competitive against someone who's bad. So it's like you're being competitive against someone who's good. So like, that's good. Yeah. And, and so when you sure yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, again, that's, I'm in in the most bizarre way. I'm building you up again. There you go. Um, (laughs) but, uh, it's funny because, the the radar gun re- i don't know if you like look back you know how you see it like if that's another thing right because i think it was our good friend Papelbon who once so this was a while ago it's like why don't they you know why did they let the hitters see the radar gun readings we don't see whatever so just turn around i know <laughs> well i mean his point was the hitters are getting <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> i'm, just, I'm <laughs> so the hitters are getting to see like how good the pitcher is. Um, but you know, so that's basically his point. It was, so do you, so you turn around to look at the radar gun readings.
2: I see. I've looked at, yeah, probably 80% of the pitches I've thrown in my career. I've picked really? up. Okay. Yeah. And a lot of it, some of it is like, you, 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 do get like, especially if you throw, if you, if you put up a good number early in the inning, I see a 98 and I'm like, okay, we got it today. Um, and then sometimes I like, especially with my slider, um, I'm kind of looking to see what speed it's at. Like, okay, that one was 88, and he was out in front. I can take a little off it down to 85, and he's really going to be out front. Like, you know, things like that. Or like, he was late on that fastball, and I look up, it's 95. I'm like, okay, I didn't even, I didn't let that one eat. I still got a couple more miles in the tank, so now I know I can add to it things like that. Like you're actually using it to kind of gauge where you're at. And then there's the whole ego side of just like, how hard am I throwing today?
1: <laughs> well, but the date they come back to like the here and the now, the dangerous thing though, is again, spring training where you're in, you're in a major league, you're in a major league game and, and in front of fans, in front of coaches, trying to make good first impressions. But, and you're like, oh, wait a second, what was my fastball? well, that's not good enough. I got to, I got to get going. You know, there must be that too.
2: Yeah, there's, I mean, it affects everybody differently, but I think everybody's, everybody wants to be, they have a certain number in mind. We're like, okay, this is where I should be in spring training. And this is where I need to be, you know, when I'm breaking camp. Hmm. And if you're not there, you can say all the things you want to the media. Like, um, I don't care about Velo, whatever. Like you care. I, Everybody, I haven't met a pitcher that doesn't have an idea of where they should be. And when they're below that, they're a little concerned. Like it's just, you know, it's just you're either not moving well, you know, or you're, or there's something fatigued or, or hurt. So none of which are good things. You know,
1: I got a perfect, so, I got a perfect example for you. When I bet Jonathan Papelbon 100 bucks that he couldn't hit 85 two weeks ago. Yeah. And, and, and you go watch that video. You aren't going to find more max effort of any human being ever to throw a baseball than he did when he hit 77.
2: He's probably still sore too.
1: <laughs> of course. Uh, all right. Well, we solved a lot of the world's problems and we get the world excited. It's two of the, two of the things uh, we wanted to do today. So I appreciate you. I appreciate everything. And, uh, and we could talk for hours. You know why? how I know that? Because we are going to talk for hours.
2: <laughs> That's true. We already have. Yeah, we already have. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks.